episode 11 of the MetroFan TV Weekly Rundown, coming to you live internationally once again. Lenza Fernando coming to you live in Singapore and the beautiful state of New Jersey. And we've gone even more international for this very, very special episode because we'd like to welcome our first ever fan of the week, Phil Beck, to the show. Where are you coming to us from, Phil? The uh, foreign land of Long Island, New York. Uh, how's everyone doing tonight? I've never heard of Long Island. <laughs> Where is that? Uh, you don't want to know. Is that where the Cosmos play? Who? Who? I don't know. I don't know. What's who a Cosmos? That? Yeah, what's a Cosmos? Never heard of uh, it. No, I, I heard, is, is I it heard that... that's where Danny Nutella was. Danny Nutella was, and he, now he's talking Danny about Danny Nutella. <laughs> <laughs> I think Cosmo I know of is some weird fucking, like, walking cartoon from Los Angeles. Yeah, like... Like, when did New York become Los Angeles mascots, you guys? Like, I don't really understand, like, what's going on <laughs> in the New York soccer sphere at all. Uh, <laughs> all I know is that it's extremely stupid, what's going on in the New York soccer atmosphere. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, Phil, first ever fan of the week on the Metro Fan TV Weekly Rundown going forward. Uh, we'd like to give a quick uh, shout-out to everyone who uh, showed interest in coming on the show. We're really excited to be bringing the, bringing the show to a more international audience with a more international cast and uh you know i guess um gotta start small kind of right uh encompassing the two parts of the metro area that aren't actually in the city itself but um <laughs> you know as they say um this is the the, the, heart, the grassroots and the heartlands of what really matters right so i think ultimately so uh new jersey and long island um as long as you're not in Brooklyn, I think you'll be fine. But um, <laughs> <laughs> guess looking ahead now, uh, we're going to be centering this episode actually on previewing a number of things actually because we find ourselves in mid-October. I understand that it's unseasonably freezing right about now. It's um, winter. Yeah, it's practically winter right like now. From what yeah, I like it's definitely not fall. Like. Fall just doesn't exist. It's a scene that lives in our in, in our fucking fantasy, in our mm -hmm. minds, uh, in our in our in our distant memories. It's just like winter and summer, and then there's just like this weird fucked up like three week transitional period where the world just doesn't know what the fuck it wants to do. Where it's just like you know eighty degrees one day, and then three days later it's fifty. Then there's a blizzard, and then you know it's hot again, and then boom, just summer or winter, like either one. It's it's fucked up. If you were to tell me the last major holiday that passed, just based on the weather alone, I would have said Thanksgiving. Like, seriously. <laughs> yeah. The climate change isn't real, right, guys? Uh, oh, yeah, of course not. Why would it be real? Uh, but, yeah. Um, even <laughs> because, in... because it snowed somewhere in the world, therefore. <laughs> yes, it snowed, it snowed in Calgary, Alberta. Therefore, there is no climate change. There's still ice in Antarctica, isn't there? Like... <laughs> but yeah, um, despite the unseasonably uh, winter uh, weather that we are feeling right now in the New York metro area, I'm not in the New York metro area, so I don't feel that shit. But uh, despite the unseasonably cold weather, you know, we usually do associate the cold with none other than the vaunted MLS Cup playoffs. And we do have a bit of a preview of that coming up today, as well as uh, previewing... Our regular season clash against what could be another playoff 
sorry, another potential playoff opponent in the Philadelphia Union. Uh, quick, I believe it's a Sunday afternoon trip down to Philadelphia for you guys. Yep. Correct. Um, it's Monday Games morning at 3 a.m. for me, so that's going to be a fun one. Uh, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> um, I guess without further ado, I guess I'll take us into uh, our game against the team that really, 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 really wants to be our rivals, but can't. This is sort of like uh, the team that's kind of been like the Joker in the Lego Batman movie uh, to us. But strangely enough, you know, they've, they've kind of had our number in recent in recent uh, years for some reason. Uh, this isn't quite the uh, same Philadelphia Union joke team that we've been used to uh, kind of fucking up against, right? Like, this is potentially an actually good union side and not like fake good like they were in 2016 like actually really really good philadelphia union side um a lot kind of being a lot of discourse i think centered particularly on the much improved defense that they've shown this uh, season right i think uh based around the play of their two young center backs austin trusty and mark mckenzie and as well, uh, Keegan Rosenberry coming back from the dead after a kind of rough 2017 season. So, guys, I mean, just looking at this, you know, uh, looking at some of the advanced statistics right now, they do back up the traditional metrics to a certain degree. Philadelphia do find themselves in the top third in the league in terms of expected goals, expected goal difference per game. Uh, they find themselves contemporary to teams like LAFC and FC Dallas. And I think uh, Fernando's uh, been on here a couple times in this uh, show saying that if you started the records um, with the second half of the season being the starting point, Philadelphia would be one of the best teams in the league based in form. I think they'd either be second... They'd either be second, third, or fourth in the Eastern Conference based on the way that they played in the second half. And uh, it's not just uh, defensive improvements either. You know, I think they've had uh, really good contributions from guys like Harris Majud. I have no idea. I usually have no idea how to pronounce his last name, but Harris. Yeah, yeah. Say that again for everyone. Madunyanin. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm just gonna call him Harris. I will never. Just... Yeah, I will never even <laughs> to say that. Ma- like, no. Yeah, like my my brain has kind of has like a bit of a complex that is preventing me from uh, pronouncing his last name so he's just going to be known as the bosnian guy next to alejandro <laughs> Bedoya. <laughs> and uh, speaking of ali Bedoya, you know uh they have proven to be a very formidable double pivot in that center of the field uh that provides them a very solid i think defensive foundation for what is also uh slightly more improved offense with the emergence of fafa pico the Resurrection of Borek Tokal after his stint in China. And Corey Burke coming out of nowhere to supplant CJ Sapong as their head, as their main striker up front. Like this is a Philly team that has kind of caught caught a lot of teams by surprise, you know. These weren't the bottom feeders that somehow managed to beat us in the US Open Cup. And um, I kind of do see this trip to Talon Energy Stadium as being very much a litmus test for our playoff um, potential, right? Because I think, as we said last week, 
there aren't a lot of easy outs in the Eastern Conference this year. Yeah. And this might potentially be one of the toughest matchups that we'd have to go into to face. So a lot of my confidence in this team in the playoffs kind of rests with how they negotiate this, right? As Jim Curtin and, Phil- and Philadelphia kind of know how to play us. They know that they kind of resort to a very physical play in midfield and hacking us a lot. They'll be able to throw us off our rhythm. Like, guys, what's the outlook for this uh, game for you? Like, uh, anything else to really look out for, in your opinion? Uh, you can go ahead, uh, Phil. Oh, I was just going to let you go ahead first. But, uh, all right, I, I guess I'll go. Um, the thing about Philadelphia is that they're clearly the hottest team in MLS right now. I think they're unbeaten in their last eight regular season games in, in Major League Soccer play. Like, And that obviously bypasses the U.S. Open Cup embarrassment to Houston. Um, but other than that, uh, Philadelphia has just been unbelievably good and, like, scary good. And, of course, it happens to be at the very end of the season. So I wouldn't be shocked to see Philadelphia make a, a surprise run in the playoffs, if anything. So this game is definitely going to uh, test that for them. Yeah, I think um, certainly, in my opinion, you know, uh, a lot uh, a lot of that part of the team, you know, has been getting a lot of attention from mainstream media and like looking at a lot of uh, their recent results. You a lot of impressive things here outside of that aforementioned uh, U.S. Open Cup loss to the Dynamo in Texas. You know, including being knocked off two nil, knocking off Sporting Kansas City two nil, beating the mm-hmm. Sounders with ten men away from home, and yep. cr- crushing Minnesota five one. I mean. This is a team that's definitely somehow managed to find itself um, an identity all of a sudden. And that identity is kind of based on um, locking down the defense, right? Like locking down defensively and maybe grinding out goals into counter. So this is a very stereotypically Philadelphia blueprint, right? That we've been kind of used to seeing from Philadelphia sports over the years. A very blue-collar team that knows how to grind down opponents, bully them physically, and then snatch a couple goals and it's over. You know, like, this is going to be probably the toughest nut to crack that we've encountered so far in this part of the season. And I think it's that's why it's for me, you know, it's a question if at the Atlanta United game was a question of how well our attack matched up against their defense. Sorry, no, how much our a, attack would match up against their attack in Atlanta's case, because our defense was a lot better than their defense. This is going to be a question of how well our attack matches up to their defense because I would say that our attack is probably better than Philadelphia's in some ways. Easily. But their defense has definitely come together as a unit to be very comparable to ours. You know, like it's a very, very good back four that they have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so my take on on this whole thing is, I mean, it's it's interesting because there's two teams in the East that are realistically completely different teams – in this second half of the season versus the first half. And that's going to be Philly and, and, um, and DC United. Now DC is interesting in terms of our games against them, the three games, because our first match was kind of like 
definitely in that initial transition for them, right? That was like what I think the second game uh, uh, that Rooney played uh, since he got uh, since he since he got to right. DC, um, and then from there, you know, we played him two other times, and the two times we played them were were tough. I mean, we beat them uh, one nothing the first time, um, then we beat them one nothing at home, and then that weird game where you know we drew three three. And neither neither of those last two games were easy. Like those were that was a, a hard fought win and a hard fought draw. Can't really put too much stake into that first game because again it was that initial transition. But we got to see that that new team twice, relatively you know close to that 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 um you know this this second half of the season where again they're doing a lot better. Philly, not so much. We we played Philly way back in May at the end of May. And that was a draw at home against a what at the time was a kind of crappy, you know, Philly. I, mean, I think I think at that yeah. point they were two wins, five losses, and sorry, three wins, five losses, and two draws at that point, or something like that. So they weren't even good. Now we're going against a team uh, in Philly that is. A completely different team. Like I honestly have no idea what to expect. Um, they've always been kind of this weird boogeyman, more so than I think some of the people in the fan base realize. Um, even just an MLS play, not even including, uh, not even including the two U.S. Open Cups where they, you know, they fucking knocked us out. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. You know, Brad had Brad had made uh, some uh, an interesting comment. I've mentioned it a couple times, like on Twitter, where. Um, he says that Philly has seen them as, as a, has seen this team as a rival and it really hasn't been the other way around. Like this fan base and the team, like the players don't really see Philly as a rival. And maybe that's why they've given this, us such a hard time. Maybe that's why they've been able to kind of punch above and, and really just kind of bring it to us when they otherwise shouldn't. And that, I think that makes, I think there's some, something like important there to, to, to kind of think about. And I think it's good that the players are starting to realize this. And the reason is because if they were able to punch above their weight when they were shitty, then I'm not saying that they're a better team than us because I think we are 100% undeniably the best team in the league. But if they go in there with that same level of intensity and they're just a fundamentally better team than they've ever been, then we really, really have to, you know, I, I hope this team goes in there with the right mindset. Um, Maybe not see them as a rival, but understand that, you know, just because you don't see them as a rival, that's why they're stepping up and you have to find a way to kind of match that intensity. And one last thing I'll say is looking at the record since 2015, we are in just league play, three wins, two losses and three draws. If you include the U.S. Open Cup, four wins, four losses and three draws. That is a not too good of a record against what has really been a pretty shitty team for three years. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and just to clarify what I was saying, um, it was eight wins in their last nine, by the way. They lost to Montreal somewhere in the middle of that, but still a very good team coming into this match. Yeah, and I believe, you know, like uh, that was, a f- I mean, it was a 4-1 defeat to Montreal, I think, looking at their who scored record. Um and I think a lot of, 
Excuse me, sorry. Ooh. When it, you talk about a lot of the intangibles, I think, and I think you really do bring up a really good point. Um, you know, I think this kind of brings us me along to this point of discussion that I want to make that um, it might be a thing where we kind of need to start taking them a bit more seriously if we want to expect to uh, start beating them uh, kind of consistently once again. You know, I think you do kind of, I, I feel like this attitude does kind of pervade throughout the fan base a little bit. And as much as uh, the whole, the not arrival thing is a really, you know, it's a really big piece of banter between the two teams as far as I'm concerned, right? Because that what kind of stokes the uh, so-called um, tension between the two of us. I mean, um, it, it, it's true. You know, I think the uh, the insight from the players in this regard, I think, uh, does kind of reveal that maybe we haven't quite been taking this team as seriously as we might. And now that they might actually be good, you know, I think we actually do have to take this particular fixture like very seriously. We want to have like a, we want to have a chance of coming away with a good result. Like, um, what kind of, I mean, for some odd reason, like we've always kind of been a bit tense going into uh, the late season away fixture to tail, a tail in Energy Stadium, uh, year in year out. I remember in 2016, they we kind of felt the same way and we came away with like a two nil win on the road the year before in 2015, it was kind of similar. And then the Wright Phillips brothers, uh, combining for basically the only goal oh, that they'd ever yeah. combined and on oh, for yes. that was such a coming good away, I remember that. coming away with, I think that was another two nil, uh, win, right? I think something, something like that. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. And then in 17, well, I think the both times we went down there, one was the CJ Sapong hat trick game, which prior oh, to oh boy, the US yeah. Open Cup uh, loss was the last time I'd set foot in Taylor Energy Stadium. And the other one was. I can't that's remember the other one, actually. That was a 2 nothing win, I believe, on the last day of this. Oh, on the last day of the regular season, maybe, was it? I think, that's what, I think that sounds about right. So. I don't know, like, it, like I, I guess this is sort of like the silver lining in all in this picture, right? Is that we seem to do better in the late season um, away fixture at Philadelphia because the teams kind of started to uh, lock themselves in for the playoff run, right? And I think based on recent form, we've definitely proven that we might be starting to be a bit more locked in, right? I mean, we talk about the. Uh, that comprehensive 2-0 victory against Atlanta. But you also have to talk about the uh, way we just kind of cruise through San Jose away from home. You know, I think there's anything different about this team this year. And I guess, uh, you know, like, it has to be that, you know, we don't really take anything for granted. You know, like, when we're locked in, we can prove that we can kind of beat anyone in the league comprehensively, right? So I think... Centering my insight on this back to the comments is that, like, I think this is definitely going to be our so-called edge going into this game, right? Is that this team is locking in. And when they're locked in and they take things a bit more seriously, like, we know that this should be a test that they can very well get a good result against, you know? Yeah, I, I think I think of all the recent games we've played, I think the two biggest tests, um, it's going to end up being Atlanta, which I think we... 
I mean, we really just fucking took care of business that game. Uh, that game. And, and I don't, I think it's important to, um, you know, still, you know, realize Atlanta is still a very good team. So we can't just, you know, assume that, like, you know, if we go beam in the playoffs, it's a guaranteed win. But that was a clear, decisive win without our best, you know, best midfielder and, and our best striker. Um, so I feel good about that. And then it's going to be against Philly because Philly is the kind of, you know, again, they're kind of like that that lower boogeyman team that that always finds a way to to, you know, shit on us in the fucking playoffs. You know, it was. It was Columbus who was below us in 2015. It was Montreal who was below us in, in 2016. Last year, you know, it was fucking Toronto. Fuck those bastards. Um, but, <laughs> you know, yeah, this this team, unfortunately, well, I fucking despise that that's a metro mentality. But it is a reality that, you know, sometimes this team just kind of, you know, falls apart in big moments. And I think this team has proven throughout the season that that isn't a problem this year. Um, I think they, they proved that again against, you know, multiple times a season. But recently against teams that we would likely have to yeah, end up facing in the playoffs to get to the cup, Atlanta and, you know, if this team, if this team shows up and dominates the way I think they should, because I do think we are that much of a better team than they are from top to bottom, then I, I tell you, man, my confidence going to the playoffs is going to be fucking through the roof. Hmm. Yeah, you have to credit that culture change to Chris Armas for sure, because uh Jesse Marsh was an active contributor to that whole that so metro mentality because of his a lot of his stupid decisions in elimination games. And we saw that. We saw that. I'm serious. No, though. that's a good like, point. We saw, yeah, it's true. We no, no, saw, no, no, it's we, true. It's it's absolutely true because you saw that in the Chivas game where he played Bradley Wright Phillips as a number ten for no reason. You saw that in the Open Cup against uh, Philadelphia, and you saw that. Well, even even against Toronto, I guess you could say that. Wow. a little bit. So, so- I mean, don't mean don't mean inter- interrupt. You just remind me we fucking lost to Philly this year, and he was open. Fuck, fuck me. So actually, we have. <laughs> hold on. So we if oh, you yeah. So if you include all competitions, we actually have a losing record against the Philadelphia Union since 2015. We are four wins. Now here's my question for you: We are four wins, five losses, and three draws. Okay, now here's my question for you. How many of those games against the Union have we played with Chris Armas as our head coach? One. Okay. We did. And that was... Um, oh, no, 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 no. No, sorry. <laughs> no, we didn't play no, no, at all. No, be, we've, right? we've never played the, the Union with Chris Armas. No, no, no. no, so, no yeah, because Jesse Marshes was... No, so <laughs> so my memory was... was a, there is a link there, actually. It was because Jesse got thrown out Oh, oh yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> because Jesse got thrown out at the end that's of what was it? I think at the previous yeah, Open yeah, Cup I think game. at the end of 2017. He balls on the ground. That's right. Yeah, at the end of 2016. He yep, at the end of 2016, Jesse was thrown out of the of the game against Philly, and then in 2017, Chris led us to a uh, uh, to a win against I think it was City. Yes, Boy, it was when it fucking, yeah. fucking spiked the ball like yep. the Sean Jackson on the ass. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was a link there. I'm not going completely crazy, but there was, there was a link. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, point being, this so by season we have played. property, goddammit, Chris Thomas, property. <laughs> he does have a win <laughs> against Philly. Okay. But still, this season we've played zero games against the Philadelphia Union under Chris Armas. So I am very confident going into this match because of that. Yeah, no, you, you make a good point. Um, 
you make a good point about that because like this year in I think in every in every fathomable level it's just it's a different year. Even when you think about okay yeah, we got knocked out of Chivas uh, out of the, out of uh, you know Champions League because with with against Chivas and we got knocked out of US Open Cup because of Philly and they weren't even in that in in a, a that so metro moment. There wasn't like a moment in those games where it's like, fuck, this really just happened again, which is usually like kind of what that Symmetra is. You know, it's, 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 um, 2017 and own goal and, 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 uh, uh, against Kansas city. Um, it's, um, you know, Sasha fucking it's up. Anatole, Anatole Bong hitting the post in the 95th minute. Yeah, or whatever. And, Sean, Columbus. Yeah, and Sean, um, right. I'm going to put my Friedlander hat on. I'm going to put my Friedlander hat on. That wasn't a bong. That was BWPB. Oh, BWPB. Oh, yes. A bong was there. A bong was there and couldn't get the rebound. No, so, no, no, uh, no. No, that was Sean, Sean Wright. That, that was Sean that, Wright. That was Against Columbus? Columbus? Yes. the chaos that uh, caused Clark to completely whiff on the ball. And it came right, to right, right, from right. BWP. Yeah, and then Sean and his all of his fucking experience just stood there and fucking just stared at the ball instead of using that experience that people love to fucking, you know, scream about. And he just stood there. He didn't do anything <laughs> like anyone else. If I, I mentioned this in a, a couple of weeks ago, one of the rundowns, if Alex wheel was there, he would have fucking kept running towards the ball and he scores and we fucking advance. I'm digressing completely. I apologize, but <laughs> you're not wrong though, but, but still. yeah, but like based on what I mean is like, you know, in 20, in 20, Every season, I mean, honestly, almost every single year in all these big moments, you can you can point to one or two specific moments in like that playoff series or that, that one knockout round where you can say that one moment is like, damn, that's you could argue that's the that's a metro moment against Chivas. So there was no that symmetric moment. We we had 30 fucking shots that game or some crazy number like that. Like we were a we dominated Chivas. We only lost because an eight year old made a fucking shitty back pass in Mexico, and we lost one nothing. You know, if it, it, mm-hmm. we lost again in, in uh, against Philly because we didn't we, we we trotted out a heavily rotated lineup four days after a a uh, uh, four days after a midweek game where we start where we played all of our starters. Like that's not a that symmetric moment, but because Jesse made fucking stupid decisions like playing Bradley as a fucking 10 and and mm-hmm. and starting a player who and benching Bradley in the open cup yeah, game. Yeah, like I, again, I like I like Etienne, but like the dude scored his first goal at like an MLS level ever like a week before or two weeks before. And then the best goal scorer you move him as a 10 and your 6 million dollar player you put on the bench. That's not that so metro. That's just Jesse being a galaxy brain fucking moron. <laughs> U.S. Open Cup. There was no particular moment. It was just almost a carbon copy where he, you had this brilliant fucking idea where in a knockout game you're gonna like bench half your fucking starters. Again, that's not a that symmetric moment. That's just stupidity. Yeah. No, uh, I think I think that aspect of it like is kind of what makes the difference for me is that um, look, I mean, the Chivas and the Philly Open Cup games weren't the result of this like kind of putting out our best lineup and shooting ourselves in the foot, right? It was sort of more of a moment of the lineup itself not really putting the team in its best position to get a result. And I think on top of that, like the Chivas uh, game and the Philly U.S. Open Cup game have a lot of similarities because it kind of saw us like just putting out a bit of a disjointed performance and struggling to break down 
very defensively solid team as a result of the relative lack of chemistry that guys had trying to execute their roles in a completely improvised system, or at least what seemed like a completely improvised system. Like, the Philly game in particular stood out to me because um, there was an attempt at playing some kind of bizarre, like, 3-4-1-2 system <laughs> with, like, Derek Etienne and Carlos <laughs> Ribas leading the line when, A, neither of oh them, my to my knowledge, had really played lone striker. No, sorry, neither of them really played in a two-striker system with any sort of success. Well, Etienne kind of has. Um, it, it, when Etienne played with with uh, with RB two, him and him and uh, and and, and Abang played, you know, up top together quite a bit. But well, like, but, but like that's the thing. Like, it, it's fundamentally not the same because the way the rest of the team was shaped and positioned just wasn't the same. Uh, it's like this is the, like the thing that it comes out for me is is that like he was playing in a two striker system in Red Bull two, like for a part of the twenty sixteen season. Yeah, it wasn't the that wasn't the lineup that they put out when they eventually won USL Cup in sixteen. That's true. They reverted yep. back to a lone striker system with Brandon Allen as the line, and Derek Etienne kind of pinching in from out wide to kind of act as a in the Daniel Royer role for Red yeah. Bull two. You know, right? So like to come out right and start two strikers in a knockout game away from home. In a system that neither of them had really quite had any success at, or like any even past history of executing is the kind of galaxy brain nonsense that we don't see under Chris Armis, you know, I think. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I'm kind of encouraged by it because Chris does kind of at least understand the basic tenet of winning games is throwing out your best 11 in its <laughs> best formation and mm-hmm. just having teams tr- prove that they can beat you. Yeah, like and his... so far this season, I haven't seen that, you know? And... Yeah. Chris Armour's Galaxy Brain is, like, making smart rotational moves. It's like, wow. And, <laughs> and I say it's... I, and, like, to me, that's that's Galaxy Brain because I'm just, like, kind of not used to seeing something as simple as, like, okay, don't rotate half your fucking team for, you know, a big match if you don't have to. You know, like, we were all worried about that first game where, oh, my God, you know... He's gonna have he's gonna have to deal with rotation, and I think he managed that 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 block of of of, uh, of games where we kind of needed to rotate a bit from you know from schedule congestion, you know, a couple call ups and stuff like that. He handled it. He handled it well. He didn't go full full galaxy brain. Like if if Armis was was at the helm against against Chivas, guess take a wild fucking guess who doesn't play as a ten. Take Cocker, a wild, I wonder. T- take a wild guess. Who <laughs> <on the> fucking <laughs> bench. I'm Funny. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. But yeah, but like you know, but seriously, like like it, it, I have full full confidence that if hello, yeah. Oh, they're lost over there. Um, no, no. I, I, I just muted myself oh, okay. so I could take a drink. That um, no, like I have full confidence that if Chris Armas was leading the way in that game uh, uh, in, against Chivas, that he he just puts out a normal lineup, right? He you have if he goes against the U.S. Open Cup, he manages the rotation better between Seattle and Philly. Because if I recall against Seattle, he basically put like a full starting lineup, 
And that was like towards the end of what was already a kind of congested schedule to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, right. so I, I feel because I think he demonstrated during that that, you know, the five game and 15 day run that he manages those rotations a little bit, a little bit smarter. You know, he doesn't make massive wholesale changes, at least relative to the importance of the game and the strength of the team. You know, like J- Jesse, who do we play against right before uh, right before and after uh, Philly? I'm sorry, not Philly. Uh, the, uh, the, sorry, Seattle the in midweek. It was Seattle in midweek, and then after the Philly game, we went down to. I think it was Columbus. Okay, no, no. So, so the remember. game against Houston, right? The game before was against DC, and the game after was Montreal. We lost against Montreal three nothing. Whatever. Yeah. We also, right. you know, was, we also didn't have Adams, and that was, I think, the template of of that um, defensive mid pairing between. Uh, Riz and, and, and Davis that showed what just flat out didn't work. And I think he showed mm-hmm. against, um, you know, the, the against Atlanta and who was it? Uh, I think Toronto where he, where we had that yes. same uh, defensive mid pairing. Like he made clear adjustments to make that pairing work. But like I could see Jesse putting out like this, the full starting 11 against fucking Houston and doing some like wildly rotated lineup against fucking Montreal. As opposed to, as opposed to Chris, who you know put a relatively rotated lineup against Houston and came out a little bit stronger against Montreal, even though we still lost. He, he mm-hmm. ma- I feel like he doesn't galaxy brain shit. He makes right kind of logical decisions, and some people may not like that. Some people may think, oh, that that's too, um, that's too generic. But like, I'm fucking okay with that. I'm okay with having a generic mindset against fucking Chivas, where you know what, Bradley is the best striker like in MLS fucking history. Hence, let me fucking play him as a striker. I just paid six and a half million dollars on a fucking uh, uh, on, on a number ten. Dealt with a whole off season right. of drama. Let me put him in that position <laughs> and just yeah. see what fucking happens. Yeah, right, you know, right. Yeah, I mean, like, well, not only that. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I guess for me, it's like the best moves are sometimes the most obvious moves. And I'm going to make a quick digression to what you're bringing up with Atlanta, Montreal. Is that you know we we thought that Davis and Riza in midfield wouldn't work because of what we've seen on that sample size uh, the rest of the season, right? Because we hadn't we kind of struggled in midfield with those two as our main pairing because of this perceived lack of physicality. So the difference between Montreal and Atlanta when those two started in midfield again is that Armis made a very good adjustment from what failed in Montreal by putting Alex Mule in on the right wing. I think yeah, and that was a very good change in my opinion because that re-added a lot the intensity that the press pass was kind of lacking in montreal in addition to them just kind of having a lot of uh t- in addition to them just being fresher and not having to play it's you know a fifth game in 15 days you know i think it's these kind of right. things that you see in the way that chris armis manages um his lineup man his manages his lineups that fills you with a bit of confidence with a lot of confidence and now that we are in a part of the season where we don't really need to rotate anymore, like, this is more or less, you know, this is kind of what we want, right? We have this ability to yeah. just kind of trot out our best players week in, week out, and just keep it going until someone proves that they can beat us. Yeah, and, and just to interject real quick before Phil takes over, just to your point, Jesse had a problem with kind of figuring out what to do with Adams, Rizza, and Davis, right? It yeah. would it, mm-hmm. it was one of the on top of an apparent kind of nagging injury with Rizza, 
a lot of times Jesse kind of made some weird decisions as far as trying to like sort them all out, including like playing Adams as like a you know as like a right, basically as a winger at times, which kind of works sometimes. And Armist may have done that, but like I feel like Chris has actually found a way to use those guys as best he can and figure out like the best combination. And even when he didn't have the best combination of those four players, let's see, he only had three of them to still find a way to make that work without making these weird, drastic wholesale changes to, you know, a new formation or some weird shit. Like it's okay. This is how we're supposed to play. This is a formation that typically best works for us. Let me figure out around that context to get these guys to work together. Sorry, Phil, go ahead. No, no. What I was going to say is like, you're right about the squad rotation and just the way the schedule was laid out, there was no reason to rotate the squad against Philadelphia when you had a full week until the next match at home against Dallas. And you rotate your squad against either Columbus or against uh, Seattle. You, yeah, you had the midweek game at home against NYCFC as well. So obviously a little bit of pressure is on you to put out a full lineup for that. But still, like the way it was set up, you had plenty of opportunities to rotate your squad before that Open Cup game. Yep. Yeah. No, certainly. So, um, and 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 just and, and I feel like it's important to bring this up. I guess not as important now because I think people are starting to kind of really ease up on their criticisms of uh, of you know Chris Armas when he took over. But like right before that Seattle Philly game, you know we were we weren't slumping. I mean, it was a draw, loss, draw. But like if you also throw in the U.S. Open Cup match, I mean it was two lo- zero wins, two losses, and two draws. Leading up to that, uh, leading up to the to the FC Dallas game, like the team was already kind of struggling a little bit. I think part of that was him just not managing certain things the right way. And to be to be fair, I guess that, that part of the season was a brutal stretch for our squad. You know, um, between all the call ups and between all the uh, injuries that transpired, uh, where we were calling up legitimately calling up the sixth or seventh best uh, players in the depth chart in some positions, uh, but. You know, it's true. I think uh, Chris did have a very similar squad composition to kind of work with uh, in that five-game and 15-day period, with that, but maybe only with the added wrinkle of having all the first-choice, uh, um, all the full-time internationals being available for selection for most of that. So, But I guess it's also true that, you know, Jesse would kind of do some funny shit with the way that he rotated the team. You know, like certain guys would play all the games in that period while some other guys wouldn't. And the minutes wouldn't quite come as staggered, I think. So, you know, it's true. I think, you know, we we, we do it. Some of it was kind of self-created, but also, some of it was also kind of a matter of circumstance for me. Yeah. And I think to me, that just kind of highlights, I, I guess it's easy. I want to say it's easy to, to kind of be super critical, you know, fast forward a couple of months. But I mean, even even around that time, I feel like a lot of people are kind of like these these lineups kind of aren't making sense, you know. Like they, like again, j- just some games where you figured you would have seen a little bit of rotation, you didn't. Games where you kind of didn't expect rotation, you saw some. And then again, just leading up to to, to the Seattle and then the U.S. Open Cup uh, match, that I, I just I don't I'll never understand it. I, I don't get it. I know. I know. Again, I I know there was there was already some tired legs and stuff. I mean, look, even Brad was very very vocal in his in his displeasure um, about the rotation. You know, 
it 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 it's I know it's different here because travel is significantly harder than pretty much anywhere else, especially if you're coming from like England or really anywhere in Europe, um, at least Western Europe. So I know that plays a part, but you, you, you can't, you got to do better rotation. You can't trot out a, a near starting 11 in a midweek game. Yeah, I know it's home and, and, and you always want to win at home and stuff, but fuck man, it's a knockout game. It's a knockout game. You, you got to redeem yourself after that fuck up against Chivas, and and your 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 way of redeeming that is is benching Bradley Wright Phillips and benching a couple other guys and doing God knows what the fuck when I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna angry. I'm gonna curtail the slide right here because uh um well we we somehow managed to turn a, phil- a preview about Philadelphia win in the regular season into the airing of grievances against Jesse Marsh in knockout tournament. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, As if that's a bad thing, though. No, it's not, but, you know, I, I'm going to pivot back to the future now, and I guess we'll close out this segment with a quick prediction from you guys. Uh, how, how you guys... <laughs> um, even in spite of all the displeasure uh, that we might feel towards Jesse Marsh, it's a new day under Chris Armas. So uh, with all of this in mind, uh, quick predictions, you guys. I'm feeling maybe we grind out a 1-0 win. It'll be a close one, but I think we can do it. Yeah, I was thinking about a 1-0 win as well, because obviously we mentioned that uh, Philadelphia's back line has got incredible chemistry. They've been playing very well of late, minus the Montreal match. And combine the fact that we have the best back line in the league without question, then it's going to be a defensive game for sure. It's going to be a hard-fought game, so one nothing in favor of the boys in white or I, red, depending on what we're wearing. I am going to go with a two, one win. I think our, I think on the defensive side, we're going to, um, we are going to hold things down. I mean, Philly's definitely pretty solid in the attack, but we, we, we look, we have the best, we have the, the best defense in the league. I, I think the only team that might come close, uh, to me at least, is going to be, I guess, Kansas City. Um, I think, I think we're going to come out strong, though. I, I, I have this, I had this gut feeling based on some of the things I've heard from some of the players and, and, and uh, you know, some of the recent interviews that they have, they're going to have a much different mentality going into this game than they have in the last couple of years against Philly, um, and especially since by the time our game happens, Atlanta and Chicago will be decided. So if Atlanta wins, then this is a either way. This is a must-win game, right? If yeah. Atlanta wins, then I mean anything less than a win for us, it's over. Shield is done. Um, if Atlanta draws or loses, that's even more motivation for them to go there and get the three points, knowing that Orlando's kind of you know the last game. So I don't know. I, I as nervous as I am, I still feel good, and I think our defense is going to hold things down. I think it's like you said, it's it's, it's a different it's a different time under Chris. I think he's going to make logical decisions, um, uh, tactical decisions, and make logical, you know, uh, uh, roster lineup decisions. And I think we're going to go out there and and, and get a, a good two to one win. And I guess you know when you talk about the shield race, uh, it's good and keep this in mind because if the results do go our way this weekend, we have a chance to seal it at home with Orlando coming to visit. And what better way to win shield number three than lifting it in front of Sasha Question, right? 
Like, uh, yeah. speaking <laughs> of the playoffs, though. You're not wrong. <laughs> speaking of the playoffs, this will be our second segment on this uh, podcast, this episode of the podcast. Uh, we're going to be taking a closer look at the playoff picture, actually, because we've been getting a lot of questions in the mailbag um, regarding uh, the playoff picture for us in the Eastern Conference. And I think on top of surprise packages like Philadelphia emerging from out of nowhere, I think we've talked about this in past episodes, that there's no real easy out in the East this year, right? Like, looking at the 3-2-6, like, the weakest team that I think all of us would actually want to be facing all of a sudden is NYCFC, which just look kind of listless under Dome Torrent. And... Well, the other teams in the mix, I think, for the playoffs will be the Philly, will be Philly, Columbus, DC, and I, I, I'm not really sure about Montreal, but uh, they still technically haven't been mathematically eliminated yet. So I guess we'll include them for the sake of discussion. Uh, mm-hmm. No, it's true, you know. In my opinion, like again, week after week, it just reminds myself. I just get reminded of how good the East is this year, right? That this is probably going to be one of the toughest paths to MLS Cup final that we've had. It wasn't like, say, 2016, where most of the usual bogey teams were knocked out in the first round. And if we could get past um, Montreal, we'd probably have a pretty good shot at making it to the final because we were, you know, we had the numbers of the other teams that were in that playoff mix with us. But this year feels kind of different, doesn't it, guys? I mean... Looking at it top to bottom, Atlanta, us, NYCFC, Philly, Columbus, DC, and the Montreal. Like, that's a murderer's row of teams right there, especially yeah. against us. So, uh, and what makes who, it, I guess, assuming we qualify as the first or second seed, like, which is the most likely out of all these uh, teams that do you see ourselves facing in the semifinals? As, the, as our first-round opponent. Because I think as it stands, the knockout rounds are going to be City versus DC and Philly versus Columbus. So, assuming mm-hmm. we make it as the first, we'd either be facing one of... Potentially sure. facing one of... We'd be facing either Philly, Columbus, or DC. Yeah. Yeah, well, it depends... So, it kind of depends on... Uh, well, we, we go against uh, the highest seed, so it's either yeah I guess it's gonna yeah I guess either City Union. I mean, if it ended right now, it would be a, if it ended right now, it would be anywhere from four yeah. to six. Wouldn't it be potentially City? Uh, only if City drops down, because if oh that's true. Well, I'm saying if we get the first overall oh, uh, spot okay. and, and therefore yeah. the, okay, the gotcha. shield, so. But as it stands right now, uh, we could face anybody except for uh, DC. Yeah, so I mean that's that's why this game is. I mean, it's, it's why this game is also important to. To another reason why you got to kind of be a little little worried about Philly is, I mean, this is a big game for them too because they want that third spot mm-hmm. and it's totally obtainable at this point. If they get yeah. that third spot, you know that that's a good look for them because they're going to face uh, whoever they face. They're you know they're going to end up being home. Um, right. And yeah, and if they win, they could potentially face us. Yeah. yeah, yep. That's the other thing. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's no easy road here. I mean, if we kind of talked about it a little bit last week, but like, I I I touched upon why I'm a little bit less worried about the crew than I was before. Um, I think a combination of just how he came out in that second half in the last game was just so fucking good. If we can replicate that, then I think we're golden, and I think they're more than capable of doing it. Like I think Armas has a good a good wraparound kind of what to expect because um, he's seen both sides of them, whether we're playing three in the back, four in the back, or whatever. Uh, if you're kind of playing slow with them, if you're being you know, really aggressive with them. So I think he'll have a good handle around him. And he also, he's not, Berhalter's not in Chris's head the way he was in Jesse's head. Um, city is city. Like, we haven't beat them in New York City you know, at Yankee Stadium since 2016, since a 7-0 win. But, like, they're just right. not that good anymore. Like, I really feel good. Like, no, I mean, even if you go there and just fucking draw, I feel confident we would just wallop them at home. It's really fucking – it's Philly and D.C. that that really have me more concerned than than Columbus and shit, even Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. Which is <laughs> – And that's kind of crazy, though, but that's just typical MLS Cup playoffs, honestly, where you're not necessarily as worried about the upper seeds as you are the lower seeds who are just getting hot at the right time. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, you know, the, a deep dive in the city's woes, I think, uh, in the second half of the season, you know, a lot being made of your slide under Domate, Dominic Toretto. I'm not going to pronounce his full name. <laughs> Dominic Toretto. Uh, he's not the Drift King anymore, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, clearly, in, NYC, in New York City. Um Guys, I mean, really, when I look at it, like, City are probably the team that I want to face the most based in recent form in the second half of the season, right? I mean, just looking at their record under Tome Torn, I think they've struggled to... How many wins was it that they ended up bagging in their last few? I think, um, by the looks of it, since Torrent took over against us... And played his first game against this. His first. The hell is going on in the background? Losses. And they've only gotten about one, two, three, four, five, six wins the entire second half of the season under Domi Tour. Like, right. And four of them were his first four yeah. games. And they yeah. they go into this weekend having lost to 10, 10 man Minnesota United, like holy shit, you guys! Like, <laughs> well, well, yeah, one thing good. to keep in mind is they also lost um, uh, this little this this uh, shitbag. What's his name? They lost somebody at some point. They've kind of been in a little bit of a slide. Herrera, I think. But Herrera was injured yeah, like much true. earlier. Yeah, in the season, yeah, yeah. Why did I think that. he got hurt around that time? Yeah, they were just kind of garbage, I guess. Okay, I thought that was kind of. I kind of thought that, like maybe that was a, kind of like a like a sneaky <laughs> little key, like big reason why maybe they've kind of been sliding. But yeah, I guess they were. They lost some wallet. They lost some a little further back than I, than I guess I realized. <laughs> they suck. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, you, you talk about like trying to bring in reinforcements over the uh, summer window, and you know, I think any move that you make in that window really is going to be quite, you know, insignificant because you know, there's no way a guy comes in midseason and just immediately um, 
immediately sets the league on fire, as some of us might think. You know, so most signings that come in through the December transfer window, uh, they take time to uh, really find your footing in MLS, especially since a lot of them are coming over in preseason shape. And with this in mind, uh, the only move that City made in the summer transfer window, to my understanding, is signing some Spanish dude who is a fossil and got sent off against us in oh, the derby. Yeah. Uh, like, look, I mean, the was that was that uh, Eli, Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> yeah, Eli. Oh my god. <laughs> Eloy, oh my God, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm only yeah, I'm a oh my God. Like I'm gonna spell out, oh my like, God, too. Like it's amazing. <laughs> like <laughs> you're probably not the yeah, only one. I know. One. I mean, like I feel like that's sort of like the initial reaction, like when people see that he's on the team sheet, right? Like, holy fuck, man! Like. <laughs> but, I'm not really sure what's ailing the blue side of New York, but I think undoubtedly, like they're the team I probably want to face the most uh, going into this playoff run. And I didn't really anticipate that I'd be saying this, like going in, but it's just really been a testament to how bad yeah, they've look, been this entire second half. I, of the I know some like, of us have have you know kind of uh, you know talked up a lot about you know the systems of star, systems of star that a point where I'm sure some people just kind of roll their eyes when they read that. But I think there's at this point a clear, uh, a clear reality of that, you know. How many, how many is fucking chuds on like the media, MLS and whatever the fuck other losers, where they were totally just like, yeah, you know, of all teams that are going to struggle, it's totally going to be the Red Bulls because blah 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 blah, and yeah, City is going to be great because you know fucking, you know Pep's fucking side piece is coming and taking over NYCFC, and it's like, um, no, because it was no real discernible like system there it was kind of just like things happening you know like at least with us it was an internal it was a real internal uh promotion and things despite what a lot of people said for the most part kind of just tactically continued as they were i mean chris has been in the fucking team since 2015 he's not new at this shit yeah it's his first time he's you know taking over the team so that's obviously something significant but kind of once you get past that like two week awkward phase of like, holy shit, he's a manager now for the players. It's like, okay, we're kind of doing the same thing. Maybe some subtle changes, but for the most part, things just kept on going. He knew the players. He knew the system. He knew the league. He knew the strengths and the weaknesses of certain teams and the players on, on, uh, in the league. The fuck did fucking Dominic Toretto know about major league soccer, let alone fucking NYCFC. Absolutely fucking nothing. He started from scratch when yeah. he came over. I don't want to hear shit from anybody. That is ultimately, in my opinion, what really has led him down this way is he doesn't he doesn't even know how to adjust the right way to certain players not playing well or or kind of moving guys around because he's not familiar enough with them. He's not familiar enough with other MLS teams where he can say, okay, you know what? We're going to go and uh, go against this team, and maybe I want to change things up a little bit, but let me change it up around you know this defensive pairing or or you know, whatever, whatever the, this, the context may be. He doesn't know these things. So he's just fucking throwing shit at the wall in hopes that it sticks. That's not what happened on our side. Yeah, I know. And I, I, I think, like, you know, I'm going to conduct a thought experiment here momentarily, you know. Like, a lot of people kind of bit nervous when uh, we were grinding out ugly wins under Chris Armis. 
But guys, the record under Armis has been yeah. astounding. Like we've only like what lost maybe two or three games and have gotten points in the rest of ours, especially after negotiating like a mm-hmm. f- five game stretch where we played five and fifteen. Okay, so can you imagine the sentiment in this fan base right now if we had had a managerial shift? That was closer to what's going on at City under Torrent than it is well, to us. People, the that's what people expected. Can you imagine the people, takes? And that's that the thing. People right expected that. People, honestly, <laughs> in this family, expected what happened to City to happen to us, and what happened to us happened to City. Even people in our own fan base, because of that shitty, pessimistic, fucking defeatist mentality. Hmm. Well. I don't know, Phil, like, do you have any thoughts in this whole situation? Please contribute to my thought experiment. <sighs> so <laughs> so the, the thing is, like, I get the whole mentality because, like, it's been how many years? But at the same time, we also don't know what the hell's coming up. So we, we could, for, for all we know, get some other that's so metro moment but at the same time it may also may not happen and i have more faith now than yeah. ever that it won't happen so yeah. i'm, I'm kind of ready I'll, to throw i mean i guess you, I mean, you know like re- regardless of whether or not like tsm is a thing or if it exists like here's the thing like when you're riding a ride at the carnival like do you uh actively think oh like if you're enjoying yourself riding the rides at the fun fair do you think about when the fun's gonna mm-hmm. stop or do you just enjoy the fun while it lasts? You know what I mean? Right. And that's kind of what, and that's what yeah, this that's team point. is. It's been a really fun ride. I think they've kind of surpassed all these expectations that we placed on them coming in from 2017 to 2018. Because, I mean, we remember we were horrendously mediocre in 2017. And it really seemed like that was the mm-hmm. closing chapter of a book. And we weren't really sure where the what the next step was or how we were going to look next year, you know, because there were so many things up in the air and we weren't really quite so sure about how the 2018 team would look. We went out and made one big signing, sure, and a couple other small ones Mm -hmm. that turned out to be huge signings with the internal replacements and Kyle Duncan coming in uh, before he got hurt. And Mm -hmm. here's the thing, like, we've already, it's been such a fun ride, partially because they've surpassed a lot of the expectations that we had in the team going into the season. You had people all around the right. sphere the, the thing that is, would have been fucking stoked if we said that we'd be in the middle of the Shield Ild race going into the last two games of the season before the season even yeah. started, right? Because people were predicting us for like what fourth to yeah. sixth. Mm-hmm. If, if you told if you if you told people at the beginning of the season, yep. guys, look, we're told they're going to be in the running to potentially break the MLS single season record, like decisively, people would have said you're fucking nuts. And just to circle yeah. back real quick, yep. uh, our record under under Chris since he's taken over, ten wins, three losses, three draws. I'd say that's pretty damn good, if anything. Um, see, the problem though is like as fun as this has been, a lot of people still know that this is New York, and everyone has excessive expectations for everyone in New York, no matter what team it is. Like even. Even as bad as the Islanders have been, like the expectation is to still make the playoffs and still uh, challenge for the Stanley Cup. So it it's just part of that New York sports environment where you know, winning and, and, is expected and, and, I get that, and not appreciated. At the appreciated. same time, it's like I, I can't imagine 
looking at the standings right now and seeing seeing my team with 20 wins, seven losses, five draws, a goal differential of plus 27, being on the verge of potentially breaking, we've already destroyed our our our, t- our team season se- uh, uh, single season record, but potentially running to break the league's season se- right. uh, season record, and being like, "Fuck this 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 sucks," or like really having almost any yeah. negative mm-hmm. thought, even if even if the playoffs may not bring us what we want, like. I can't imagine, no matter what happens in the playoffs, looking back at this season, but like, man, this season was a disappointment. Yeah, you know, I think like like mm-hmm. when you oh, talk about sure. um, you know winning being expected rather than appreciated, I think you know that is the difference point for me because you know on this channel we do have expectations with a team that are kind of high with the way that they've five trophies, the but the reason why five the expectations. Seriously, expectations. look, like, yeah. like and that's the thing. <laughs> Shout out to Tolstoy. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, and we legitimately felt that all five trophies were obtainable because we had high expectations. Yeah. But, right. But here's the thing for me. Well, may, maybe not the <laughs> World Cup, but. but... But here's the thing for me, right, is that um, when you talk about wanting to have expectations with the team, yeah, you know, I mean, I like to think that we hold the team accountable. When they've kind of dropped the ball, we've... Called him out in it. We voiced our kind of a displeasure with thing, how yeah. certain things were going. <laughs> but there's a difference between, in my opinion, there's a difference between um, having lofty expectations and kind of running, like hedging your bets that they're not going to be met and having lofty expectations and encouraging the team yes. to meet them. Yeah, no, you know that's, I mean? that's a huge difference. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between being disappointed when the team doesn't meet these expectations, but you're proud of them anyway because of what they've shown and the amount of work that they've done towards achieving the very lofty goals that we have set for them. Because, in my opinion, which is basically how I, I mean, felt last the thing year. Is that the, lofty, the goals have only been this lofty, this part of the season, because we've seen what they were capable of when they came out in that first half of the season and blew everyone un, in the league off the field. Made that run to the CCL semifinal. That was the moment that we realized that this might be a special team, which is why the expectations are as lofty as they are. But you cannot deny that the expectations are lofty Simply because they've proved to us to some way that we might be able to win something. And that in itself is a reflection of how implicit I think people in this fan base think this group is. It's just that for some odd reason, you know, it's, I think it's a self-defense mechanism at this point. They just don't really want to commit and they don't really want to invest in it because they're just kind of like just kind of protecting themselves yeah. from being hurt. I think that's what kind of what it boils yeah, down to for me. Sorry, God. But this mm-hmm. is why, like, you know, this is the difference between the TSM mentality and using TSM as a joke, in my opinion. TSM is a coping mechanism for right. me as well. You know, it's like a way of just kind of laughing at our own failures and just kind of as a way of mitigating the sting of some painful losses, right? But for some people, like, when it becomes a mentality, when it becomes the thing that kind of clouds the way that you perceive this team as performing... Like, that's when it becomes yeah, unhealthy for me. 
it, it's you know, like, like it's like you have one person who looks at at our current record and says, "Oh wow, like my my expectations is success," versus a person who looks at this team's record and just that this team's total body of work this year and somehow yet still expects misery and 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 disappointment. Like to me, there's a difference there. You know, I, I I'm not trying to you know put us. Prop us in any kind of way, anything like that. But I, I think we have demonstrated on the channel this year that you can have a very, very, very positive outlook, but also hold a team accountable, and and also, you know, kind of, uh, kind of be vocal in 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 those criticisms when those criticisms were, were deserved. Yeah. Look, I think the two most hottest hot takes this year came from us. My 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 rent right just <laughs> lost my shit at like two o'clock in the morning in a fucking hotel room in the middle of Long Island. Okay, while I was away for a work trip. All right, you, I'll say you're not part of that place. Um, and then you yeah. after the U.S. Open Cup lost. Like <laughs> I think we more than demonstrated, and and there were other times too. But like, there's certain other. Outlets, and I'm not going to mention any. Well, there's certain other outlets where it's like it's perpetual negativity, it's perpetual expectation of oh, it's going to happen again. And I don't think you have to choose either or. I don't think you have to either. I don't have to choose to either just be this fucking unrealistic homer and just think every you know and, and just not have any realistic expectations or understanding of reality of what's you know of certain bad things that's happened this year. But I don't think that you should also go around and at all fucking times just expect the worst. Like I also like I don't think you have to choose between thinking we're definitely gonna fucking lose against San Jose or you know, uh-huh, or, or uh-huh, thinking uh-huh. like, no, we're gonna fucking, you know, we're gonna win thirty four games this year. No. There's a balance. And I I think not just me and you, Lens, but I think a lot of people this year, um, more of the younger people, the non old heads, I think are starting to understand that and you're starting to see more of that vocal, realistic optimism where again you can you can take a step back and say yeah no this team is just fucking good and enjoy what they've done in those good moments which is 95 percent of this year but at the same time be able to take a step step back and say jesse you're a fucking moron you fucked this up again and and criticize when criticism is due it doesn't have to be one or the other it's so frustrating that people more so on the negativity side feel like the only way you could possibly be is always expect nothing but failure that that's i couldn't imagine living my life like that i'd be fucking my god i'm already depressed i couldn't imagine what the fuck i do if i always had that mentality in my in my daily life jesus yeah 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 i think for me it's like there's this you know i think i would reiterate like kind of distill my argument into like kind of a couple sentences like that there's a difference between setting lofty goals and believing that the team can achieve them because it's grounded in what you've seen against setting lofty goals and then not believing that the team can achieve them anyway, because, um, you know, you think there's for one reason or another, they're going to mess it up. I mean, it, it, it seems a bit one way or the other for me at this point where, you know, like it, it you have to have reason to believe that at some point that history, you know, eventually bucks itself. Right. And this team to my, in my honest opinion, has the best shot of any that we've seen in years since perhaps 2015 of doing exactly that. And it's based in things that I've seen. It's based in things that I've observed. And it's verified as much as you, whatever you may think about 
analytics and numbers, it's verified very much by every traditional or advanced metric that you can think of that puts us in that top part of the league. We are elite in almost every traditional, advanced analytic that you can think of that all my doubts are kind of settled at this point, you know? Like, at this point for me, the team's kind of proved that any success that they bring is going to be the product of what they've done. And any failure that happens is a result of us shooting ourselves in the foot as opposed to some other team beating us. You know, so unlike other seasons, I haven't seen anyone prove that they can beat us at our best. And that's kind of not even fucking Atlanta could do this. It helped. Every loss this season has come of an asterisk. And that's why at this point, you know, I'm going to reiterate what's been said. I'm not going to really quite go as hard in as some other people have. But this is just my simple opinion. Like, I don't know what this team has to do at this point to receive, like, your belief. And whether or not you believe fully is up to you. But for me, on a personal basis, I think this team's proven itself. This team has ticked all the check marks, check boxes, all the check marks on the boxes for me. And if it's not this team, I don't know what it's going to be, you know. And I haven't felt this way going into the playoffs in a very, yep. very long time. Not even in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, does, does no one else really have anything to add to no. that? Like, <laughs> was that like just a... Not, not really. Yeah, you like, you, you like, hit the nail like, on the uh, head there, bud. You know... This, this, to be fair, this is probably the the this is competition wise a harder year than probably ever before too. I mean, in twenty fifteen, like I definitely feel more confident now than I did in twenty fifteen. But at the same time, um, uh, this is just a better league, you know. Like if, I'm I, like I'm looking at the East right now and the teams that made a playoff. Oh, for sure. It was like the crew would was, would probably have been the only team that was going to get that, that was going to knock us out. Toronto wasn't new England. Wasn't DC definitely fucking wasn't, you know, Montreal probably wouldn't have, it was probably oh, no. going to be the, the crew. And the only reason why it happened was, you know, uh, for the most part, just a stupid shitty fucking mental lapse, you know, nine, 10 seconds into the match this year. It's different. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, look, there are some really good fucking teams this year. So as confident as yeah. I am, and I've never been this confident it's even then it's still not as like a, a guaranteed thing one because it's the playoffs it's never nothing's ever guaranteed but there there's some good competition but like my thing is no matter what happens in the playoffs as confident as i am this team i think has proven i think they they've they should have more than earned the, uh, earned the respect of people in this fan base and i think that's something that still hasn't happened I think there are people in this fan base who still just f don't fundamentally respect the team and respect their ambitions and and respect what they're trying to do only because they haven't won a cup. We could fucking go, you know, I don't know, 10-15 and whatever this year and win the cup and that would and fans in this fan base will have more respect for that team than if we went 22-7 and 5, won the shield but lost didn't win the open cup. I, I, I didn't win that MLS cup. Yeah. I don't know. Does anyone else really have to add anything at this point? Well, 
I was going to add to your point saying that the reason for that is for the fact that uh, you're so confident in this team, yet this league is so much better is because of the fact that we can break the single season points record and still yeah, not I mean, win look, the supporter you, shield. You, you're going to end up having two teams this year with 20 plus wins. You're going to have two teams this year with potentially mm-hmm. 68 or more points. I, I can't imagine us not at least getting another fucking win. So more than likely, at least two – you're going to have two teams with at least 68 points. One of them is not going to win the MLS Cup, at least one of them, which is crazy. So like – Right. Yeah, but and that's the thing. It's like – Probably not going to be It's like hold both these teams to the same standard. If we we finish second, you know, one point behind them or something, and we don't win the Cup – and they don't win the cup. Let's be honest. Who's going to get more shit for that? It's not going to be them. It's going to be us. Us. Yeah, it's not going to be like, them th- because they're two years old. Exactly. The franchise. And they have all the players that. Uh, and, 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 oh well, oh well. There's that the too. Yeah, I've already like thrown MLS that away. Digital loves to fall over themselves, like praising all these guys because oh, I guess they're young and they're handsome. And they're the poster children for the, uh, you know, they're the poster children for the uh, league's new darling showing off the uh, 40,000 capacity stadium that sounds like a fucking library. Yeah. Like, and because the attendance trophy yeah. is so much more important <laughs> than actual Gee, stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, like, oh, like, <laughs> like turn on your flashlights on your yeah. cell phones now. Like, it's funny because, like, like people brag about how like loud it is, but it's like okay. First of all, it's not even that loud from what I've what I've seen. But like when it is, it's just because like you have a lot of people mm-hmm. in the building. It's not like that each person is loud. You know what I mean? Like with us, yeah, yeah we might have fifteen, eighteen, nineteen thousand people, but like those people are just exactly like like it's like it's a passionate fifteen the, the <laughs> decibel per people. fucking per person volume it, like level is just so much higher. You have seven. You have seventy thousand like kind of audible people. Right. They're still going to kind of be loud. When you have fifteen to eighteen thousand screaming fucking fans, it's going to sound better. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, like, look, I mean, uh, when Atlanta mm-hmm. came to town and faced us at Red Bull Arena, uh, I was I was up on the perch the second half, and when Tim Parker scored off of that hustle assist from Alex Mule, like the sound that hit me while I was up there was so deafening that my bl- brain literally blacked out for a split second because it couldn't process how loud <laughs> it was. It was really like the pressure cooker had exploded and the lid had flown off. Right? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. still, I'm like, still pissed that I had to work that. And day. that's the thing here is that like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like y- you'll talk about, um, Oh, what Atlanta having 40,000 fans that do some silly thunderclap little thing. Yo, the 50 people that showed up at Ripple Arena in that away section doing the thunderclap? No. Couldn't hear them. Completely being drowned by the Who's Your Daddy chance. <laughs> yeah. And the You Can't Beat Us chance. Like, that's a testament to the thing. You, you yep. lob shit at this team for not being able to sell out. It's, uh, you know, it's a uh, seat allocation. But it's not up to us to market the fucking team. When we show up and we... Right. Yeah. That's, when the that's fans show job. up and we do our thing on game day, you know, I think that's a better testament to the kind of culture that it is. It's 20... It's eighteen to twenty thousand hardcores, then forty thousand Johnny Come Latelys <laughs> trying to do 
the only chant that American outlaws know how to do. You know, like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> what, they, they didn't yeah, try, sure. I believe, that we will win. What, what was that weird-ass song that they were singing against Columbus in the playoffs last year where everyone was, like, throwing their phones around and it felt like a shitty Jenny, Jenny Chesney no concert? Like... Some stupid-ass Georgia thing, right? Like... What the hell am I supposed to care about <laughs> what they say, honestly? Yeah, no, I, 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 seriously, I seriously can't imagine, like, really giving two shits or a hoot about Atlanta's songbook that much, really. Look, they're, they're, like, I've seen their own fans on, their, on, on, yeah. on fucking ATL Twitter kind of being like, guys, can we can we be, like, a little original? <laughs> uh, Thank you. So, uh, at least someone over so, in that so, fan base has some common sense instead of... Yeah, someone... It was actually right after the game, whole, and, and someone kind of came to the realization. They're like... <laughs> They're like, uh, uh, just realize that our entire songbook comes from these fucking people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need more people like that as opposed to people yeah, who know, are like, upset about narratives. It's kind of comical to me. Yeah, of course I know. You know what, what I'm talking, talking about. about. <laughs> Shout out to ATL Trains. <laughs> I, I'd like to have Fuck you on you. the podcast one of these days, sir, so we can discuss the parade in Harrison. <laughs> parade in Harrison, you guys. But, you know, like, like, like that's the funny thing. Is like, it was kind of comical when I kind of turned around in the 85th minute and I saw them trying to do a fucking thunderclap. Mm -hmm. That shit only sounds good when you're the majority <laughs> in the stadium, you guys. I mean, like, otherwise, it's just a bunch of losers just, sitting around and right. airing out the armpits. When, when really, your stadium is like, designed like the inside of my asshole... You know, and, and the roof is a fucking actual sphincter. Yes, it's gonna it's gonna reverse, <laughs> you know, kind of well in that fucking shithole NFL. <laughs> you play on turf as well. Yeah, like, there's like God. nothing to absorb it. Like not even the the hatred of their fucking racist souls is enough to fucking absorb it. Yeah, um, I guess uh, we'll just do a quick run through with the rest of the Eastern Conference to kind of close out the episode. Uh, we already know about Philly and DC. Uh, Columbus would kind of be the uh, wild card for me, I think. Um, Fernando, obviously, mm -hmm. I think uh, reiterated earlier in uh, the episode that he kind of thinks that Columbus are a bit of uh, aren't maybe aren't quite as threatening as they may seem initially on paper. They're kind of an interesting one for me because they're the only team it, currently occupying a playoff spot in the East that has a negative goal difference on oh, season. Oh shit! Yeah, and. Mm -hmm. You know, like this was this was kind of surprising to me because, like, in my head, you know, we talk a lot about how Greg Berhalter has done a really great job doing a lot of things, um, doing a lot of things on the season. You know, like getting the best shooting budget and having, uh, you know, dealing with the relocation drama really, really well. And the advanced statistics do back this up, but it really does seem more to me that you know it's based on the fact that. They have a absolute. It's more of a lockdown defense than a team that's going to freely score at will, and those are the kind of teams that you know I do think that we struggle with, especially since Burhalter seems to know how to get his team to step up and play through our press by, um, as they showed in that first half against us on the road in Columbus, and as he showed again in that first half at home against us. You know, but like, inter but interesting enough, why, like a, I'm sorry, but in, I don't. I'm sorry, sorry. I don't, I don't, I, sorry to interrupt, but. Even then, like, that's why I kind of keep going back to it. Like, that second half, this team went full-on fucking press. Like, that was some of the most aggressive. Personally, I think the, the, the second half of the Sporting, New England, and Columbus games were 
almost as aggressive pressing as the game against Atlanta. So I think Chris showed that, you know, no, you can totally, you can lock, you can figure out how they're trying to break through your press and find a way to now press them even more, you know, to, to press them again and kind of just throw them off and get, and, and almost get a result. You know, we lost three to two, but again, that second half was a totally different half. And we started that game with a five in the back. If we start that game the way we start that second half, it's you know, potentially a different game. So uh, that that's kind of where my mindset is with that. Okay, uh, Phil. It's it's just <laughs> just kind of a mixed bag of things with Columbus. So um, obviously we mentioned their negative goal differential. Um, so. I think they're just having problems scoring wow. goals at this point because how many goals for do they have? Thirty nine. That's actually the that's that's the worst yeah. in the Eastern Conference. So okay, yeah, wow. that's yeah. worse than Orlando. Yeah. <laughs> but but yet the fact that they're that's yeah it is worse than Orlando. See the pro, the thing though about Orlando is that Orlando's conceded seventy two of them. Columbus. Col- Columbus only 41, and that's a, that's the same number of goals that NYCFC has conceded. So defensively, Columbus Crew is a, a good team, and if they can bunker down and beat the press like they have been in the past, yeah. then they're a team that you have to be um, careful with, for sure. But again, however, um, Chris, we do know that Chris Armas is has shown some promise in regards to making adjustments in the game as necessary as he see, as he sees fit. So I have more confidence now than ever. That we could probably yeah, and I guess that Columbus that, game does have to. a bit of a wrinkle in it because it kind of came out with a heavily rotated squad and th- playing three at the back, which kind of isn't really a recipe for success by any right. means. And no, it's not. And what was it? And it, what it was, was it? Only a one-one draw. The one at home. Yeah. Yeah. Three-two loss. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. The game at home. I'm thinking about the game on the road. Uh, away from home, but we lost to them three-two at home because we kind of came out right. and played a really awful but, first half. Because oh, we God, started Aurelian Collin instead of Fidel. Yeah. Instead of Fidel, ahem, but okay. Ahem, ahem. We haven't seen him. Um, it, weren't like two goals like ahem. shit Collins fall because he was just too far. But, but yeah. Yeah. Like there's a lot of were. asterisks in right. that loss, man. They I, were. I don't know. See, right. the, other, the other thing. Okay. But the other thing is that we also don't know what kind of like intangibles are going to be affecting this game, especially with the whole news right. that came out about the whole Save the Crew movement. Yeah. And uh, Jimmy true. Haslam potentially buying if, this if team. If I were a crew fan, though, and I heard the Cleveland Browns owner wanted to buy me, like, I'd be even sadder about it, <laughs> be honest. Like, I would move the team at that point. Yeah, just take, just take <laughs> yeah. the fuck <laughs> like, We don't deserve it. this fate of being owned by the guy who owns the Cleveland Browns. Like, come on. I think that. And the but, guy who no, also no, got even better, with like, the fun, with kind of the best part was how like the like the Cleveland Browns official statement was like, yeah we're totally looking into this to make us better. Yeah, that was fucking <laughs> wild. <laughs> yeah, I don't you know. The facility it was something that, about like how are you like a new do training that, facility, that makes like no sense. or some something like, weird. I don't know. God, that yeah. was just fucking awkward. I mean. The whole situation to me, like, kind of sounds yeah, a bit like weird. a Faustian bargain, right? It's like uh, the, the crew fans called up Satan and made a deal with the devil, basically <laughs> saying we'd keep the team in Columbus, but under Cleveland Browns ownership. Like, that's a fucking Faustian bargain, if anything. And you know, I think I want to make a 
want to write a Greek tragedy yeah. about that right about now, but that that's honestly that honestly comes out of like a sports game of would you rather? Would you rather your team relocate to Bumblefuck, Texas, or t- stay in your hometown but also be owned by the worst owner in the? Of NFL? which there are many, by the way. Like, oh man. Oh yeah. Well, but, but I mean, the NFL sucks. The biggest internal, but... shit pile in. A pile of shit piles, which it is an achievement in its own right. So, right. I don't know. I mean, it is a fair point that the uh, invigoration from the Save the Crew news is huge. I mean, they had players coming out and celebrating with the fans when the news broke. But I don't know. Uh, I think to kind of reiterate what's been said earlier, though, like uh, looking at some event and metrics as well, is that one of the players that showed up to celebrate with the players was Josh Williams. And he's been a part of what, by advanced metrics, has been the best defense in the league in terms of expected goals against per game at 1.04. And that is astounding to me because <laughs> the, the league average is one point like five or six, with the median point being somewhere around there as well. I mean, that's crazy good defense, uh, which makes me... You know, I mean, like, mm-hmm. it's true what you guys say, that we can kind of maybe count on Chris Armas to do a better job against teams like that. But we also kind of do have to respect Definitely. the defense to a degree, which is why I think this fil- – to wrap this whole thing up, this Philadelphia game is kind of pivotal for us because this is sort of like us going against that template of team, right? Very defensively sound, a very good defensive mm-hmm. unit that can hit us on the brick. It makes me think that if we can navigate Philadelphia, which are kind of similar – to Columbus, maybe not as good defensively, but de- definitely better offensively. So it kind of balances out in a degree. But if we can navigate this trip down to Philadelphia well, our prospects against Columbus improve yeah. as well, in my opinion. Right. One last thing I'll say, uh, I just want to bring up an interesting thing about DC, as good as they are, it's mostly because they're home. Their record away is still bad. And even if you, even in, even their few away record. Yeah. Yeah, that that is act that is the one worst. Nine that's and the six. worst in the East. That's that way. That that's terrible. The, yeah, that's the worst in the East. Yeah, even Orlando have two fucking yeah, worst in the East because Minnesota and Houston uh, are I worse. I mean, points wise, it's actually not the worst, but like they have the lowest amount of wins <laughs> on the road. Is probably a better way to put it. Um, so they're co- like they right. haven't had that many away games since moving to uh, uh, to the new. Shithole dump, um, makeshift pop-up tent stadium. Um, but in some of their few ones they have, they've been okay. So that's kind of another interesting thing to think about because, look, plot playoffs is a two-game series. So, yeah, they do good at home, obviously. But away, they're still kind of questionable. And if you look at the better teams in the East, they're still solid, if not flat-out good away. Atlanta United is just amazing. I'm honestly, they're evenly, they're almost, yeah, like they're almost evenly split between home and away. They're 10 to 10 wins, two losses and four draws home and 10 wins, four losses and two draws away. I mean, if anything, that's like a perfect record you want for a playoff team. We're 13, two and one at home, but we're still seven, five and four away. And then you look at Philly. No, not at all. And and even Philly's not that bad. Philly's six, seven, bad for MLS standards away like that's still not that bad so that's something maybe that is kind of low-key like 
flying under the radar as far as like what DC United has been doing lately, that they're still really not that good away. And again, this is a two game series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, well, keep in yeah. mind, most of their away games were also before Wayne Rooney joined the team. Oh, because, yeah. No, because, yeah, that's because what I'm saying. Was, like, well, even, was, even uh, since due to then, the though, construction of Audi they've field. been okay. They really haven't been, you know. Yeah, well, I guess the thing with Rooney for me is that, right. like, I, I, like we talk about Rooney's impact on that DC offense, bringing the best out of Lucho Acosta and some of those other guys. But I think what's really been the main um, quote unquote difference maker in DC has been that emergence of that double pivot of Russell Canusi and Junior Moreno. Like, this is a DC mm-hmm. team that actually has mm-hmm. a very complete spine now. You know, it's not just fucking nobodies yep. running the midfield anymore. Like, they actually have guys who know how to you, who know how to hold on to the ball and make sound decisions. You know, it's not fucking dorks like Ian Harks like running <laughs> in, around in midfield anymore, right? Like, yep. I think that's the main difference for me. Uh, I don't really have too much else to really say about DC United that I haven't really said in the past, so I'm yeah. just gonna kind of leave my yeah, thoughts. I think, um, that. I think I'm good on my uh, on my thoughts. Where, yeah, yeah. We're good. I guess there. that kind of does it for us, doesn't it? I think uh, yeah, on this, this uh, episode of the rundown. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess we'd like to give a quick shout out to uh, Phil for being the first ever <laughs> fan of the week coming on. Uh, Phil, uh, congratulations on being the best that we could find on a short notice. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, of course, uh, this will be a much. weekly feature going on forward here on Metro Fan TV. So uh, if you liked what you heard tonight, Give us a shout in the DMs, and we'll find a way to bring you back on. We'll be having a lot more. Uh, we like to have a lot more uh, frequent guests on. I think going forward. So, if you think that you have a voice that you, if you'd like to contribute your voice to this movement that we're trying to build Wait, here in Metro Fan TV, guys, sorry, give quick, us a shout. Breaking news! Out. Breaking news! Vresis just announced merchandise. Uh huh. It is Vreese's <laughs> Ultra. Yes. Yes. And there's a t-shirt. No way. Vreese's Ultra. No way. On the front. Yes. 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 I just now. retweeted oh it God. too. I just retweeted it. What we've it. done. Listen. Yes. Listen to the yes, power. This is the power of Metro. We Fan are TV, a powerful like, base. Ultra started here. Yeah, right? and like, like the fucking, it's got the, the logo yeah. in all. It's a black t-shirt with, with their Vreese's logo in all white in the back. And Brees' Ultra in the front. Holy fuck. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. I don't believe it. Like, this is incredible. Like, completely, like, it took me off my uh, really cool composed sign-out that I had planned about having people want to come messages to be on the show. But I'm just going to end the show now saying that, yo, Forget Metro Fan TV. Get your asses down to Elizabeth. What? <laughs> Breezes Ultras, we are here. Exactly. Bring your ass down Breezes to Ultras, Elizabeth, New here. Jersey, and say hi to David and Cameron, because those guys are fucking sick. Like, they got your back, fam. Uh, <laughs> Metro Fan TV, I guess, uh, signing out. We'd like to thank Phil once again for uh, taking the leap with us, and... Once again, you know, if you like what you heard tonight, give us a shout in the DMs and My keep on supporting Red Bull and Empanadas, everyone. 
Metro Fan TV saying good night, good morning, and good afternoon. Peace.